Life is good. And you know, this is the time of year of making, say it, New Year's resolutions. Okay, anybody out there already made one? <laughs> oh, you're, you're being very cautious out there. Yeah, resolutions come when we need and maybe see a change that we need in our lives. I don't know why we wait till January, right? But it's kind of like New Year, New Gear. God, what do you have for us? And that's what I'm calling this message, New Year, New Gear. And change is good. You know, I think we should always be looking for ways of, of improving. Um, you know, there's a lot of self-help books out there, boy. And uh, self-help is big industry. You know, doing things to improve our life, our, our quality of life, our ways of thinking, our habits. You know, there's a lot of strategies out there. And goal setting is good. But can I just say this? We'll unpack this. Without the help and work of the Holy Spirit, a resolution is only behavior modification. You can change what you're doing on the outside, but until the inside changes, it's, it may just be a temporary thing. Something's got to shift on the inside in or, and shift in our thinking before our actions will follow suit. So if you're only working on the outside part and neglecting the inside part, we might fall into the category I heard on the radio that 80% of New Year's resolutions are failed by February. <laughs> They're very temporary. We have good intentions. And like I said, change can be good. And recognizing change can be good. And let's just put up the first PowerPoint there. Resolution means this. It's a firm decision to do or not to do something. It's good to make a decision. That's maybe a good starting point. But it does require that, and it's probably going to require some self-discipline. That's a thing that we may not like to think about. I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to start doing that. I've already said I've got to start exercising again. But do you know how long I've been saying that? <laughs> For a very long time. I need to make a change in my lifestyle before that's going to happen. And it may require me to do something different. You know what the uh, definition of insanity is, right? Keep doing the same thing over and over, but expecting a different result. Something's got to change, right? So I'm going to finish painting my laundry room. That's one of mine. I've got to get that done. That's been the same for I can't even tell you how long. I'm going to get more organized. I'm going to stop staying up so late. I'm going to start exercising. I'm going to get down to my perfect weight by next week. <laughs> Sometimes our choices, the changes that we want, are not even really logical or reasonable. But I ask God about New Year's resolutions. Isn't it good to set goals? I'm a very goal-driven type of person, and I don't see anything wrong with that. But when I rely on my own willpower, it's only going to get me so far. So apparently, just a plain old resolution doesn't work so well. But God gave me a new word that I want to unpack with you today. And that's this word right here. Next one. Our new word is, drumroll, instead of a resolution, how about a revolution? A revolution is a forcible overthrow of a government in favor of a new system. There are areas of my life that I need a new system. That system, and sometimes you have to just be really honest with yourself and say, how's that working for me anyway? 
hmm, something needs to change. And forcible is a little bit interesting, but um, that's its, you know, basic definition. But a forcible overthrow, I'd rather say, okay, I'm going to decide to welcome a new way of doing things, a new system, a whole new government, a whole new way of operating, a whole new system for certain areas of my life. Because you remember, Jesus did not die for our behavior modification. What is the difference between a resolution and revolution? And I want to, I want to submit this to you. A resolution tries to change things from the outside in, but if we'll submit to a revolution of the Holy Spirit, he will change you from the inside out. And your actions will follow what is in your heart. The heart, the Bible says, in the, your heart flow the issues of life. Out of it flow the issues of life. The condition of our heart, and I don't mean your beating heart, that muscle inside your chest. I'm talking about our frame, how we, how we see things. What is our belief structure? What is the very core of who we are and what we truly believe? And I just have a question to ask. In a revolution, if there's an overthrow of government, who's in charge? The new government. And the new government, I would just say, we want to be able to submit to the new government of the leading of the Holy Spirit, especially in certain areas of our life where we feel like we've been banging our head against the wall, nothing ever changes, you've been going around the same mountain over and over and over, but you see a need for change. Galatians 2.20 says that I have been crucified with Christ, Paul is speaking. He said, it is now no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. You are not what you think and say and do. You are a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away. We have been crucified with Christ. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who delivered up his life for me. There's a new government dying to myself and being alive to the Spirit of God. And he is alive in you. Your spirit, girl, is totally reborn. There is no sin in your spirit world, world, excuse me, your spirit girl, that part of you that was reborn, that passed from death to life, is filled with the life of God. And in it, inside of you, we have every kind of thing that you may desire in your life when it comes to change. And I like to say it this way. I no longer live for God, but now I live from God because he's already put inside of me everything that I need to live this life victoriously because he already won. Really, the end of the story, it's already been written. You win. We win because Jesus won. And he, the victory is ours because Jesus is victorious. And so I want to challenge us in this time of resolution to rather work through revolution and it's a surrendering to a new way surrendering our control do you know that most of our frustrations in life are because well I'm just going to go out on a limb and say it's because we get frustrated over things that we cannot change or control does that make sense we get frustrated over situations where we feel like we can't do anything about it because by nature, ladies, we're fixers and we're rescuers. Anybody tracking with me on that? 
All right, and we love to make sure that everybody's okay and we take on this false sense of responsibility that it's my job to change everybody around me because after all, they'll be much happier, happier after I change them, right? That's called control. <laughs> That's called control. And it will only result in a lot of frustration. We, have, we can pray for people. You can... You can affect the atmosphere around them so that they can more clearly hear God. They can more clearly see things. They can come to a place where they say, wow, what? why am I doing this? Because, you know, we all have those people in our lives, right? Why don't they just stop? They need Jesus. Let me tell you what you need to do. You need to stop. And you better knock it off. And we cover them with condemnation and shame and finger pointing and finger wagging. You know what? That doesn't change anybody. That repels people. How does God do it? How does God do it? That's right, Joy. He's got arms open wide. He says, hey, you, you cute little sinner girl. <laughs> Come here. Let me show you what real life is like. I've got something so wonderful for you. You just don't know it yet. Think about the story that Jesus told the prodigal son. We call it the prodigal son, but I love to think that Jesus told that story for a very specific purpose to demonstrate the father's heart. Because that dad showed his son amazing, unconditional love. That son didn't deserve any of what that father did for him. After what that son did legally, by Hebrew law, he should have and could have been stoned to death. Because he was a rebellious son. And in their laws, parents could do that. But that's not what this dad did. And we know, you know the story well, but think about it. The son said, I'm going to go home and tell my dad I'm not even worthy of being a son anymore. Just make me a servant. At least servants eat. Because he was starving, wasn't he? But he thought by his actions and by the sin and the things that he had done in rebellion that he had lost relationship with his father. But his father would have none of that. And when the father saw the son finally coming home, he did not wait for him to get to the front door. He did not shame him. He did not um, scold him. He did not withhold love or affection from him. He did just the opposite. What did he do? He ran toward that son, and that son could not even complete that um, speech that he had rehearsed about not even being worthy to be called a son because the father said, my son who once was dead is alive. He was lost, and now he's found. And he treated him to the finest of everything. He never lost relationship. And sometimes we approach God and say, oh, I'm so far backslidden. I don't even know if I'm saved anymore. We don't lose relationship. When you run back into the arms of God, the very thing that you need to do when you feel like you've been far away is you just come home, and he will meet you with open arms. Acceptance, approval, not because, but approval from God and his love is never conditional on how good you're being, how spiritual you are. It's just because he's chosen to love you before the foundations of the earth. He loved us. So now that we no longer live for ourselves, but we live from God, we're living that surrender, let go life. And I want to just encourage you. Sometimes we react instead of respond. That's something that God's dropped in my heart. Stop 
reacting. And then we usually flesh out because I'm mad and I'm going to say something about it. And I need to stick up for myself. And I have rights too, you know. Instead of responding, say, God, I'm really upset. But what do you want me to do about this? Develop a pause button in your life. I'm not going to spout off and blow up like a volcano unexpectedly and without saying, pause. God, how do you want me to handle this? How do you see what's happening here? How can I be an agent of bringing restoration or peace? Here's another good question to say. How do you see that person? I was praying with somebody one time because they were having a lot of problems in the family because there was one family member who was really acting out. Left wife, children, doing things that were just, just unacceptable. And the family was so upset by it. And I was praying with her, and I said, let's ask God how he sees that family member. And it wasn't just two minutes later, she said, with tears, she said, I have this beautiful picture of Jesus, who's a good shepherd. And he went and found him, and he found him bleeding and wounded. And he picked him up, and then he put him on his shoulders in the this person turned into a lamb. And it gave her a whole different perspective. Yeah, that guy's acting out. Should he be doing that? Absolutely not. Should we shun him from the family? Should we tell him, he guilt and shame on him? That's not what Jesus did. He gave her a picture of how he saw this person. He saw the hurt and the woundedness. You know that hurt people hurt people. Forgiven people forgive people. And free people free people. If you will pause, set aside your gut reaction, and learn to respond instead to the Holy Spirit, he'll show you a way that wins people's hearts, and we're after hearts. Change in the heart becomes a permanent change. I had a favorite teacher in high school, and you know, as high school kids, we'd go on our lunch hour and say hi to Mr. Roskam. You know, he was just one of my favorite teachers. And about my, I guess I was a freshman, um, I had started dating my husband. Now, my husband was two years older than me, and he had spent two years terrorizing teachers. He had been the one who got kicked out of class. He was the one who got suspended. He was the one... Oh, I'm sorry, honey. <laughs> I think I have permission to tell you this. Anyway, let's just say he had a reputation that preceded him. Now, there was a summer that our youth group, which my husband Bill was a part of, went down to Dallas. I don't know. This is dating me way back there. It's 1972. And he, had, he went to a youth rally, and it completely, radically changed him from the inside out. And he came back as a junior, a totally different person. But this teacher said, you're dating that Waldhart guy, aren't you? I said, yeah, and it was great. I was having fun. <laughs> I liked him a lot. And uh, he looked at me, he says, Karen, you need to break up with him right away. He's just trouble. He's just trouble, trouble. And he had been trouble. I said, no, 
I said, he's changed. And his favorite teacher said to me, nobody changes like that. With Jesus, change is like that. And my husband has never been the same. I wouldn't have dated the other guy. <laughs> but I was dating this one because I saw a love of God and a total and complete heart change. That's the kind of change that I'm after. How about you? Right. And that's why I'm talking about resolution works from the outside in. And it doesn't typically stay. But revolution changes us from the inside out. And your actions will follow suit. Because now we're no longer living to please ourselves. We want to live for the one who loves you perfectly. Okay. Here's another definition of revolution. A fundamental change in the way of thinking or how we visualize something. A change in our paradigm. Because you know, wrong thinking will lead to wrong believing. And when we're believing lies, we're not going to be experiencing freedom. Um, I highly recommend this book. Joseph Prince wrote a book called Believe Right, Live Right. Um, Bob Hamp wrote a book called Think Different, Live Different. So what it's saying is we need our mind and our thoughts to line up with the word of God. And that thought pattern and that way of thinking now will line up with your spirit girl because your spirit girl is already saved and on track and alive to God and 100% on fire for doing things God's way. And now your actions will follow suit. So the desire to change is often good, but don't try to just change the outside without allowing God to change the inside. Here's another example. I want to stop overeating. Well, have you ever asked God to show you why you overeat? You can change the symptom, but what's the root? Is that the way I comfort myself? Okay, then how, why, where am I hurt? Where did that start? And God's, he's not digging to pick old scabs and to make you bleed. He's saying, come on, let's get to the root of it so that your actions will follow suit. You can need healing. You are rejected. And that's why every time somebody looks at you sideways, you get your feelings hurt. Aren't you tired of that? That's not fun. That's not the way to live. But what's the root of it? Don't just keep going after the symptoms. It's like masking What's the real problem? And only the Holy Spirit can show you that. But I have every confidence that he wants to do that for you. Why? Oh, because he loves you. He loves you so much. And I know that you have ears to hear. Your, your spirit has ears and eyes to see. And that's my, my next word that God gave me. We want revolution through this right here. Our third word. Through revelation. Revelation. That's an awesome word. Revelation is when something completely that did not come from you suddenly enlightens and opens your eyes and unveiling, uncovering, and revealing. And the Holy Spirit is really good at it. He's here to lead us and guide us into all truth. You need truth? The Holy Spirit's got it. He knows the answer, and he wants you to know it too. Ask him. Ask him to show you. Ask him to work that into your understanding. Um, the word revelation here, let me find my scripture. It's found in, <laughs> it's Ephesians. It says that we can have the eyes of our heart enlightened. Enlightened. 
here it is. Ephesians 1, 17 through 19. For I always pray, Paul is saying, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that he may grant you a spirit of wisdom and revelation, something you can ask for. Uh, and this revelation literally means here of the insight into mysteries and secrets and the deep and intimate knowledge of him. And in Sparkling Gems, which was one of my favorite study books by Rick Renner, he explains in this scripture that the word wisdom here is not referring to natural human reasoning. This is a, um, a special insight that did not come from you. It is something that God imparts. Wisdom comes from God. And the word revelation in this um, scripture says, means something that has been veiled or hidden for a long time and then in an instant, in a sudden moment, you get, aha, you see clear, clearly, you have clarity. And that was a word that I believe the Holy Spirit was ministering to us um, you know, earlier t today. So picture a large picture window that when you look out the window, there's a beautiful scene, maybe mountains, uh, uh, some kind of a landscape that's just beautiful. But it's covered with room darkening curtains. Can't see a thing. But what Revelation is like is a picture of those curtains suddenly being jerked open and you go, <sighs> you see something that's always been there, but you had never seen it before. And now you see things in a different way. God will give you Revelation so that you see things that have been maybe an impossible situation, but he'll help you to see them in a different way. He will impart Revelation along with wisdom. So can you ever remember a time when a spiritual truth just suddenly <gasps> became real to you? And it might be something you had heard over and over and over again. Something as simple as Jesus loves you. And all of a sudden you go, whoa, wait a minute. I think I'm starting to get it. He, he really loves me. He loves me even when I'm bad. He's not uh, holding me accountable for my past. He welcomes me no matter what I do. That makes me want to live for you, God. I'm starting to see your love in a whole new realm. And I don't think we can ever get to the bottom of understanding exactly what that perfect love looks like, but it'll be fun trying. It'll be a journey worth um, having to experience greater and greater depths of his love. Um, in verse 18... It also says in Ephesians 1, by having the eyes of your heart flooded with light. Isn't that revelation? Suddenly, the light turns on and you see things. Your eyes of your heart are enlightened. They were once in darkness, but now we have understanding and we are beginning to see things through God's eyes. And this is why God wants you to have revelation, so that you can know and understand the hope to which he has called you and how rich is his glorious inheritance in the saints. He wants you to know that. He wants to restore your hope. And he wants you to know that you have an inheritance that's yours. Revelation by the Holy Spirit brings a knowing and understanding and hope to be able to receive the fullness of who God is in your life. So would you like to receive some guidance from the Holy Spirit today? Anybody facing some important decisions? These few hands. I'm just going to lead you in a really simple prayer. Just to give you an example. So when you're facing some things and you don't know what to do, you need wisdom and revelation, it's as simple as this. And I just penned a little prayer. It says, Lord, let's just pray this. You can bow your heads. I'll pray over you. Lord, I ask you to give me the insight and wisdom I need for this moment in my life. There is so much I need to know, but I'm unable to figure it out for myself. 
Sometimes I get confused and I don't think I have all the answers. So today, I ask you, Holy Spirit, to remove the veil that has obscured my view. Give me clarity. I ask that my eyes be open to see exactly what I need to know. I ask you to give me a real revelation about my life, my situation, and the truth I need to know. And I trust you to do this in the name of Jesus. It's pretty simple. Now you're trusting him, knowing that he's a good shepherd. You're, you are a sheep, and we know that sheep know their, the voice of their good shepherd and the voice of a stranger we will not follow. But I will just caution you two more things before we're done here. Self-improvement, self-help programs make us very me-focused. And so better to not be focused on what can I change, but rather, God, I'm going to allow you to change me. All right, Keeping our eyes focused, not on me, 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 me. It's all about me. And here's the other thing. Don't think that God can't use you until you've got your life all taken care of and straightened up. So often we think, I've got to fix myself before I can be used by God. False. That is a lie from the pit of hell. It's a good thing that God uses imperfect people because I am one of them. So I approach, sometimes we approach our spiritual life like, like a degree. And we say, when I graduate from the school of hard knocks and earn my master's in spiritual maturity, then God can use me. No, he wants to use you right where you are. And you can grow through the process. And then sometimes we think, yeah, I have to fix me so God can use me. But that's wrong thinking because he just says, come. He says, come, all who are weary, broken, limping, bleeding, wounded, failing, sick and tired, sick and tired of being sick and tired. He says, I never expected you to be perfect, but I sent one who lived it perfectly in your place, and that was Jesus. And then he went to the cross, and he made it possible for you to be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and not because we're so good. It's because Jesus did it on your behalf. And he gifted us everything that Jesus deserved, he gave to us, and everything that, Jesus, that we deserved, he put on Jesus. And then he paid the price, and he said, it is finished, and that leaves us in a position of righteousness, not based on our goodness, but based on Jesus' goodness, and just simply because he loves us. Let's go to Galatians 5, 22 and 23. This is a very familiar scripture. This is obviously the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and I've already said, your spirit girl, reborn, rebirth, brand new creation, can I just give you a hint, possesses every one of these. So often our prayer is, God, I need more patience. Oops, guess what? You already have it. It was deposited in you when you were reborn. And so let's just read it. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, and I love this in the Amplified, because I think this is a huge point. The work which his presence within accomplishes. So you know what that's not? That's not a try-harder gospel. That's a die-harder gospel. I'm going to die to myself and allow the Holy Spirit to do this work in me. Because all the working materials that he needs are already deposited in you. We don't, oh, sometimes we react instead of respond. But you can make a withdrawal on this rich deposit of love, 
joy, which is gladness, peace, patience, which is an even temper and forbearance. I'm telling my grandkids um, who are like, Grandma, 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 Grandma. And when they're all there, it's Grandma, 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 Grandma. And I, I'm loving it, but it's like, okay, everybody, time out. Okay, I can't hear all of you at once. And some of you need to wait because baby needs this first. Okay, so we're learning patience. And I, I came up with a definition of patience said, do you know what patience is? Patience is waiting with a smile. And all of a sudden, they're all going, <laughs> hoping that they're the next one in line. <laughs> I need juice. I need apples. I need this. So patience is learning to wait with a smile. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, going on to uh, verse 23. We have some more. Did we get them all in there? Maybe we didn't. <laughs> It's gentleness, which is meekness, humility, self-control, self-restraint. Against such things, there is no law that can bring a charge. So, you know what's interesting to me about that list? Self-control. We can't see it because it's supposed to be in the next verse. Oh, there it is. There we go. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. And so often we've seen, I just need more self-control. I just can't stop doing this. I don't want to start doing that. Uh, we can have self-control in the flesh, or you can tap into self-control that came with the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which, as we learned earlier in that same verse, that is what the Holy Spirit works in you. Because you know what? You don't need more love. You don't need more joy. You don't need more peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. You need to tap into what you've already got. You've got it all, girls. And that's what Jesus meant when he says, it's finished. There ain't no more work to get to you. Now you've got to learn to work it out of you because you've already got it. Amen? So learn to press pause when we're facing negative feelings or how we want to respond and tap what is already in your spirit, girl. It's like taking your ATM, you know, going to the machine, and there's a limitless supply if you'll learn to respond and allow God to work that in you and through you. And I'll tell you what, eventually you'll have a new default setting. Instead of being that short-fused, angry, bah, person, you're saying, pause. I'm not losing my peace over this. God, help me to see this through your eyes. Give me words of life to say instead of destruction words that tear people down. How do you want me? And that's a self-discipline that came from the Holy Spirit because now I want to live from him, not just for him. So change is good. Goal setting is good. But change and goal setting without the help and the work of the Holy Spirit is futile. Only changing the flesh will be a temporary change. But when you allow the Holy Spirit to work that through you, work what's already in you, work it out to the outside, you're going to begin to see change in wonderful, wonderful ways. And the people will say, What's happened to you? You're different. And that you can say, because I'm living from him and not for him. I'm not performing anymore. It's not this act that I have to put on. This is the real me coming out. All right, let's just pray over this word. Father God, we just thank you that we can receive a word of life. I hope and pray that there was some word of life deposited, some new revelation that we can live from. And thank you, Father, for wisdom and revelation, that spirit that you give so freely. And as we discuss these questions together, I pray, Father, that we will encourage one another with your word in Jesus' name. Amen.